You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Here's what Peter says. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So this is the word of God for the people of God this morning. Amen? Amen. Would you uh, bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, I ask that you would that you would just come and be powerfully present among us, that you would come and and speak. Lord, pray that you would come and give us strength where we are weak, that you would rebuke us where we've been walking in rebellion, that you would give us comfort where we are in pain. God, pray that you would come and do this multifaceted work by the power of your Spirit, whereby you confront and wound and heal and fill and comfort and strengthen all at the same time. Pray that you would do what none of us in this room are capable of doing. We pray that by the power of your spirit, by the power of your word, being studied and preached, God, that you would you would cause transformation to happen inside of us, that you would help to set our hearts and our minds and our souls on the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus. We trust that you would do that work. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Start us off with a uh, question this morning. It's not unlike most questions that I would ask to open a sermon. In fact, if you ever pay attention, typically the question sounds about the same. Um, It's just different words. Here's the question. The question is this. What have you been hoping for? Longing for? Desiring? What, What is like your wildest dream, right? You think about the uh, the vision that we have here in Nebraska. I think it says something like, you know, Nebraska, the good life. When you think about your vision of the good life, what, what does that vision look like? Like if money were no object, if health wasn't a problem, uh, you could kind of paint a picture and describe for me what that would look like. That might help to answer the question, what am I hoping in? Right? What do I long for? What do I desire? Some of us hope for different things. Right? I hope for things like new Harleys. Um, I saw a nice one this last weekend. It was about nine feet long. It was awesome. And it was black and it was gray. And some of us hope for a new car. Right? Some, of us, some of us hope for all sorts of things. Some of us hope to get married someday. Uh, some of us hope for better health. There's, there's others of us who, who dream or we have these grand visions of a, of, a, of, a, of a better country. In fact, most of us probably dream about that a lot, especially in the last year or so, right? And th- these are not bad dreams whatsoever, not bad hopes, not bad visions for the future whatsoever. But here's, here's what is important for us to recognize. Despite all the good hopes and good dreams, even on momentary things of this earth, despite all those, Proverbs 13, 12 teaches us that a hope deferred makes the heart sick. So think about that. A hope deferred makes the heart sick. 
Here's the reality. According to one author that I was reading this week, a, uh, a sudden loss of hope. Anybody here ever experienced a sudden loss of hope for a moment? A sudden loss of hope. A sudden crushing of the dream that you've held on to for a long time. A, 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 a moment just suddenly where the vision that you've had for the good life, where that vision gets blurry for some reason, that, that experience can have a deadly effect on, on any kind of attempt that we would make to restore a man's inner strength. You ever notice how when you hit a, a, like a rough patch in life, it zaps you of your energy, right? Zaps you of your strength. Hard to get out of bed, hard to go to work, hard to relate to anybody. That's what a sudden loss of hope will do to us. Especially when it gets compounded time and time and time and time again. And this author I was reading, he said that, uh, uh, that when that happens, um, it can be very hard to restore that energy. That's why we have an entire medical field that loves to just dope us up quick, right? I'm not bagging on medicines for depression because that's very useful when the time is right. Um, Y'all know that I, I sleep in pills every night, otherwise I'm a wreck. So at times, some of those things can be very helpful. But this author says that any attempt to restore that person's inner strength after maybe compounded times, just kind of getting your dreams crushed and your hopes crushed, um, any attempt to restore a person's inner strength in those moments has to begin with showing that person some kind of future goal, some kind of future hope that's rock solid. The way that we oftentimes approach hope is like, man, I hope so. It's almost like a maybe that could happen, you know? Like if you apply this to politics, because you don't know whether one party or the other is going to win, you're just like, I hope so. I think they have a pretty good shot. I'm pretty sure most of the country supports X, Y, Z, right? That's more of a maybe. You don't know, right? Because your name's not God. Exactly? That's not hope. It's not the kind of hope the Bible talks about, okay? The Bible talks about a hope that is, that is rock solid, something that you can be certain of something that's immovable, something that's concrete. So think about this. Like, do you, When you walked in this morning, what were you feeling deep down inside of the soul, deep down inside of the heart, feeling weak maybe? How would you describe that feeling when you think about this sense of how, how the heart can kind of get sick, the soul can get sick when you have experienced a crushing of the hope over and over and over again? What is that Deep down inside, if you were to uncover that and not hide from it, what is it that's going on inside? Is it weakness? Is it despair? Is it depression? Are you furious? Where are you at in your soul as a result of the, the hope that's a tendency to get crushed over and over and over again? Possible? Is it possible that you've been living with a, uh, a kind of a hope that has been deferred for so long that your soul has become sick with despair? Is that possible for you? My hope and what I think the Holy Spirit wants to do in our midst today through this passage is come and deal with some of that. You can resist that, and that's between you and the Lord. Right? I think that the Lord would want to do kind of a healing work, kind of stabilizing work in us this morning as we look at this passage. As I said earlier, the, 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 the kind of hope that the Bible speaks of, it's not the kind of hope that's like, maybe that could happen, right? It's not the kind of hope that we typically use in our English word, our English rendition, or the, the way we just do in like passing conversation, right? Like, oh, I hope she looks at me, or oh, oh, oh I hope he might want to marry me, or I, I, I hope I get that other Harley someday. Because y'all, I mean, I have enough room in my garage for a third, right? Well, for me, it'd be a second that I could actually ride because when I ride my wife's, it's like it's like a big fat guy on this little tricycle. So, it, it's not that kind of hope, though, right? It's not that it's not that kind of maybe hope, and we live in the midst of that all day long. That we live with that kind of, if you want to call it hope, um, that's not the kind of hope the Bible speaks of. 
The kind of hope that the Bible actually speaks of is the kind of hope that is absolutely free from the shackles of anything in the past, anything in the present, anything in the future that could be rotten or deteriorated, okay? A biblical hope is a kind of hope that is settled on. It's it's anchored to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. So think about, again, when you think about how badly a loss of hope can mess with your mind, right? Kind of thoughts you begin to think when you face that disappointment. We, we find all sorts of ways to rationalize, right? But think about the way it messes with your mind. So think, about, think about how badly a, a loss of a, of a certain kind of hope can actually jack with your image of your Heavenly Father, right? Like whether you verbally acknowledge that or not, whether you step in front of the mirror and go, okay, man in the mirror time, Reflection back into my soul is, I don't trust my father today, right? Whether, whether you get that bold or that honest with God or not, there, there are recesses in our souls where we say, I, I, just, I don't know if you're good. I really, it's hard for me to believe that you're patient. Like, there's something inside of us that we still, like, I think, approach our father in heaven. At least I do. Maybe, maybe y'all are immune to this, but... Like, I, there's times where I still approach my father in heaven, like, I'm not scared little boy whose dad hurt him really bad when he was a kid, right? So I, I'm really afraid to be honest about the junk that's going on in my soul at times, but, but, if, but those moments where the Spirit gives me strength to be honest, and I'm like, I just, I don't know if you're actually good. Like, I'm just looking at X, Y, Z that just happened, and so God, I just don't know about you, right? It's a struggle to believe and those moments messes. When you, when, you, when you face those moments where your hope gets crushed, it messes with your mind and, and it jacks with your vision of who your Father in heaven is. See, think for a minute too like about how those kinds of crushed dreams, those moments where your, your hopes get uh, kicked to the side of the curb, think about how difficult it is to actually center your life on Jesus, right? And not like, not like the kind of cultural Jesus who is like, oh, it's okay. It's okay, Timmy, if you, you, know, you made that mistake. My grace is sufficient for you kind of unbiblical crap that we hear in the world today, right? Um, but, but think about how it jacks with your image of Jesus. And it just like pulls you away from wanting to live like him and resting in his finished work for you, right? Think about those moments when your hope gets just absolutely trash can. Again, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Those are just some of the sicknesses that we'd want to put our finger on as we think about what that looks like when our hope gets canned. I think Peter, like under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would step into this massive topic and I think he'd want to teach us that like, when your hope is set on heaven, uh, when your mind is set on o- obedience, when, 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 your, when your holiness is actually set on an appropriate vision of your heavenly Father, then what's going to happen? Then your motivation is set on Christ. You, you could say that all sorts of different ways. And when, you're, when your hope is set on heaven, your, your, your mind gets set on obedience, your holiness gets set on your heavenly Father, your motivation gets set on Christ. Like that's, that's the broad argument or broad teaching or instruction that Peter gives us here in these verses. Think about the context of 1 first, first Peter for a minute. I mean, 1 Peter, when Peter's talking, he's talking to believers who they're, they're living as outcasts. Right? They're on the outside of the party looking in going, gosh, I wish somebody would open the door and let me into all the fun. But they can't figure out how to get in. They're outcasts. They're not the center of society. They, they're not the controlling narrative of the culture anymore. Right? He's writing to those kinds of believers who are scattered throughout the small towns. Outcasts. They're enduring suffering, hardship. And yet at the same time, he uses this language like, hey, but you belong to God. 
been chosen by him. You're his son, you're his daughter, so on and so forth. And it's a very complex thing. Like, how can I belong to God, who's such a good and great God, and yet at the same time I'm facing all this difficulty? The thing that I love about Peter is as you work through this book, you're going to find him addressing all sorts of things, even the prosperity gospel, which is really interesting. You wouldn't think that he would address that back then, but he does in the old wisdom literature from the Old Testament, which Israel had gotten all jacked up from the beginning. It became a, if I do this, then this, kind of a culture. So Peter, Peter steps into all of this mess, right? He knows that the, like the only thing that's going to motivate people um, is going to be a vision of Christ crucified, risen, and returning, right? Like the only thing that's going to motivate true transformation, the only thing that's going to give actual real hope, like Peter seems to know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that his, the only way that his friends are going to be enabled to live in any kind of absolute real holiness is if they can actually catch a picture of their Heavenly Father. Like he knows that the true obedience doesn't flow out of just pulling up your bootstraps a little bit harder. <coughs> Peter knows that True obedience, man, it flows out of a mind that has actually been transformed. It's been one that's been changed, like Romans chapter 12, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he goes on, describes how this, this is our worship. This is the way it affects the body of Christ and all of its gifts, the way we ought to treat each other, so on and so forth. He knows that that kind of transformation, that's what's needed for true obedience and holiness, so the first thing he says, which is on the screen, he says, get your hope set on heaven. That's the way I would summarize what, what Peter's saying. He's saying, get your hope set on heaven. I mean, it's not like you haven't already, if you've heard this series all in the last few weeks, it's not like you haven't heard this already, right? Like This is a continuous reoccurring theme all throughout 1 Peter. As a believer, if you're sitting here this morning, you probably ought to ask the Holy Spirit, well, why did you put me in this place to hear this again? There's probably a reason. You got any parents in the room? Got kids? <laughs> Ever repeat yourself? <laughs> this is what God does for us, right? He repeats himself. Not because he, now the way you and I repeat ourselves, okay, parents, let's be honest. Like, freaking Timmy, get out! Right? That's God, like, I think, now I do think there are times when God does rain down some fire from heaven, like, Timmy! But I do think most of the time I think God's like, oh, you. <laughs> I love you. Come here. Um, he wants to relate to us, I think, uh, through the cross of Christ, if we're in Christ. And if that's true, then I think the way that he relates to you is a whole lot different than what we typically see, right? So I think God's repeating himself to you and I this morning on purpose. So I don't think God does anything by mistake. I don't think God ever does anything where he's like, ah, oh, crap, Timmy did that. Now I'm going to have to go do this. Like, that's not the way, that's not the way our father rolls, okay? Like, our father knows everything. Like, he, he knew your crap before it happened, and he still chose you, and he still died for you. Like, these are beautiful pictures to, uh, to like, rest in, you know? Like, you want true hope, real hope, not the kind of, oh, I hope so, someday maybe. Not that kind of hope. Like, if, you want, if you want that kind of hope, you can keep trusting in politics, marriage, kids, money, belongings, Harleys, right? You can keep trusting in all that. That's all earthly stuff. Have fun with that if that's what you want. But I can tell you, there's a much better kind of hope out there, and it's a kind of hope that surpasses everything you could get on this earth. I'm not saying don't get involved in politics. I'm not saying don't get married. I'm not saying don't strive to help your kids get better. So please don't put words in my mouth, right? I'm not saying don't go buy Harleys, because I'll probably buy one someday if the Lord gives me the money to do so. I'm not saying don't manage your finances. I'm just simply saying, if you want that kind of a hope that's there, take it, but I tell you, it's a cheap substitute for the true hope that comes from heaven. See, if you and I are going to get our hopes on heaven, uh, if we're going to do more than just, you know, uh, merely survive this life, right, um, while, while just enduring all the hopelessness in the world around us, uh, we're gonna, if we're going to actually live purposefully, if we're going to live this life with any kind of a sense of joyfulness, like, I mean, what the heck is going on in Christianity today anyways? Like, all you hear from Christians online is, 
wah, wah, wah. Anybody agree? Like it's complain about this and complain about that. And I didn't think that God gave us a spirit of complaining. I thought he gave us a spirit of freedom and joy. Like the fruit of the spirit, when I look at that list, it's not complaining. Now, I'm, I'm speaking that as a guy who loves to grumble and complain and whine in my head. You may not see me complain on Facebook very often, but my, I mean, the social media feed in my head's worse than what you see on Facebook, so. How are we going to live in the midst of, you know, hopes getting crushed over and over and over again? The only way is if we, we get our hopes set on God, right? Get our hopes set on a living God. Uh, take a look at these three verses. When you look, I mean, we're in verses 13 through 21, right? I'm going to pull in verse 3 as well. Um, it, if you could envision these verses, uh, the way that I read it in the commentary this week is like, when you see geese flying, you ever see geese flying and they're, they're flying in formation, right? And you've kind of got the, the front goose out there squawking away. And then you've got, got the wing geese on the backs and the sides. Like that formation is meant to make it through any kind of adversity, right? That formation is meant to help all three geese, if there's only three, fly through whatever comes their way. And there is kind of a three-pronged vision of hope in First Peter when you look at it. What does he say in verse 13? We just read it. Look at your Bibles with me. He says, set your hope fully. Love that word, fully. You know what, you know what, you know what the, the Greek word for fully means? Fully. <laughs> yes, exactly. It means fully. You're quick. God, I was hoping to catch somebody off guard. I thought somebody was going to be like, what? What does it mean? It means fully. <laughs> set your hope fully. You know what the picture of setting your hope fully is? Um, I'll tell you, on this chair over here, I will sit fully on it, all my weight. But on this one over here, I won't. And the reason why is because the, uh, the cross beams down below are broken. I won't set my weight fully on that chair. I'm going to wind up on my butt on the floor with a broken tailbone, probably. And I'm an old guy, and well, I'm older. So I'm careful. You see the difference? Set your hope fully, completely. On what? Well, he doesn't say chair. What does he say? What's the word? Look at your Bibles. Tell me. No, he doesn't say. He doesn't say that. Nice, good Sunday. Kind of, but no. Nice Sunday school answer. But I love you, Grace. Yes, very good. My daughter Grace is in the back. She's like, crap. He did it again. Set your hope fully on the grace. And my son Lewis would like to say, I sit on grace all the time. No. No, it's not what we're talking about. Set your hope fully on the grace. And the picture of, of, of Jesus is, is a picture of grace. What does grace mean? means this. He has given you what you do not deserve. And here's what most of us are like. We're like, but I don't have this. But I don't have that. My husband this. My wife, no, you have grace. You have more than what you deserve. No, but I don't have my political party, yada, 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 right? We focus on what we don't have that we want so bad that we miss the fact that God, in all of his grace, has given us more than we deserve. Grace is God's unearned favor, right? You didn't earn it. You didn't do nothing to deserve it, which means you can't do nothing to undeserve it either, okay? But you didn't deserve it. You follow me. There's no such word as undeserved. I'm just going to point that out really fast. Because I just said it. I know you're all lost in thought. You're going to catch up. Say, Joe, there's no such word as undeserved. No, there is, actually. <laughs> just not waiting. No, like, wait a minute, where's he going with this? Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace. Unmerited, undeserved favor. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't a picture that grace hasn't been given to you already. This is a picture of completeness, okay? It means that in that moment, the grace has been given to you, what you don't deserve will be complete in that moment when Jesus comes back. So, yes, Patrick, you were actually right. At the end of the day, check marks. That's verse 13. But when he tells, when, when Peter tells his readers to get their hopes set on heaven here, when he says, hey, set your hope fully, what he's telling them is he, he's telling them that they can do this. You can actually do this. 
according to verse 21. Look down at verse 21. You can actually do this if your hope is set on God. Right? That's the construct of the verse. You can go back to the grammar. You can look at it. You can check it out. There is a clause. It's a conditional clause. The condition is if. If your hope is set on God, ultimately. Okay? So, you can set your hope fully on grace if your hope is in God. And then furthermore, now, look back at verse 3 for a minute. Okay? Look back at verse 3. If your hope is set on God, then the kind of hope that you will have is what? Look back at verse 3. So let me tell you, what kind of hope will you have if your hope is on God? What kind of hope is it? Somebody just yell it out. Do your best. Resurrection. You got the resurrection there. So what does that tell you about the kind of hope? Is it a dead hope? It's a living hope, right? It's alive. It's a living hope because it's in a living God. So when you look at verse 3 and 13 and 21, you see this, you know, this tripart vision of what um, a biblical explanation of hope is. Once again, it's not the, oh, I kind of hope that maybe that'll happen. It's not that. That's the kind of hope, the kind of fleeting, fading hope that Satan wants you and I living with. That's the kind of hope that the world infects us with, right? But Romans 12 is really clear. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I would hope that your minds are being renewed in these moments and going, hey, you know how much I've been eating that garbage hope? Like the fast junk food hope that the world keeps offering me? The kind that Fox News, MSNBC, NBC, CNN, any others? Okay, any of those. Like, that's the kind of fleeting worldly hope that ain't going to do us any good. It's garbage, right? The true hope that we can live on, that we can sustain our souls on, so we're not living in a kind of a crushed hope that makes our, ho- our, 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 our soul sick, it's this kind of a hope. And Peter basically says, get your hope set firmly on the grace that is to come. And that literally is the center of all of what Peter's been saying. If you take a look back in verses 10 through 12, what we worked through last week, you'll see uh, Peter makes that proclamation of salvation, right? Past prophets, present preachers, angels in eternity. The center of that salvation proclamation, and then furthermore, what we're going to study here in a few minutes, Peter's uh, proclamation of what it looks like to live in holiness, pursue sanctification. You know what's sandwiched in between that? Salvation and sanctification? Hope. That's what holds it together. That's the way Peter constructs all of this. You see, the reality is no one, no one is going to walk in holiness over here. And no one is going to heed the call of salvation at all unless they first realize their utter and complete hopelessness apart from Christ, right? as well as the utter and complete hopelessness of all the world's systems that we get bought into. Once we recognize there's no hope in that, the Holy Spirit opens your heart, and you get this subsequent rock-solid hope. It's a hope that will not fail you. It's a hope that never goes away. That kind of hope, that is found in who? There. That's where it was. That's the kind of rock-solid hope the Bible talks about. Here's the thing. I, I don't know. I can't remember the statement. Uh, is it The Best Life Now? Is that that book that's written by that one guy? <laughs> See, that's an easy answer. Yes, Joe, it's that book written by that one guy. Yeah, nailed it. Man, like, your best life now, here's the thing. You're like, well, I, don't, I would never read that book because that's written by that one guy. But here's the problem. Every one of us in this room buys into the philosophy. We do. We believe that if we do X X and Y, what comes after that? So that's what we believe. We live in a transactional world. Do this, get that. And consequences are true. Thankfully, we serve a God who is a covenantal God, not a transactional God. He's a God who loves you when you're at your worst. He's a God who loves me when I'm at my worst. 
I love that. I love that picture of grace. And your best life now has nothing to do, nothing to do with social reform. You can do all you want to change society. You ain't going to get the best life now. Your best life now has nothing to do with political reform. Do all the political reform you want to. Have fun with it. It's fine. Do it. You ain't going to get your best life now. Vocational accomplishments, family unity, sexual pleasure, okay, yeah, I said it, physical, companionship, financial stability, emotional integrity, relational stability, all those things, not necessarily bad. They're not going to give you your best life now. And there's no 10-step program to accomplishing those things to get your best life now. You can pursue lots of things this side of heaven. And I would say the only kind of hope that will last is when your hope is set on heaven itself, okay? So now that I've blown 34 minutes on the first point, and we've got three more to go, we better start moving. <laughs> Second, get your mind set on obedience, right? According to verse 14. Look at what Peter says. Peter says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, love the phrasing, preparing, it's action, it's not... It's not action as in go do, prepare your minds, right? It's not action as in be sober-minded, but it's encompassed in that. It's actually a continuous thing like, hey, you ought to be doing this, so continue doing this. That might be a good way to read the phrase. Therefore, preparing your mind. So, Matt, ask you a question. I'm not going to ask you how are you going to go out of here and prepare your minds, although that's going to be implicated. Let me just ask you, how have you been preparing your minds being sober-minded he says set your hope on the grace that we've brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ the picture that peter paints here uh, is of someone who sets their mind on obedience to god how by preparing their thoughts for actions continually it's not like a one-time thing it's it's, it's the American way, right? We, 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 we approach salvation like, camp, I prayed the prayer, I'm saved, I'm good, go do whatever I want. I do it again next year at the camp too, right? We do this every year. Um, we, we like to put things in this neat and tight little list, but here's the thing, like God's a messy God and our lives are messy too. It's an interesting piece of that. We should constantly be preparing our minds for action, constantly be pursuing sober-mindedness. What's the opposite of being sober-minded? Somebody tell me. Drunkenness. Drunkenness. Yeah, be like a drunken mind. Yeah, so there you go. There you have it. So the, here's the problem. The problem, I think, for us is that we live in a culture of images instead of thoughts. We live in a culture of images instead of thoughts, and then what we wind up doing is we think with our eyes. Okay? And we trade in a biblical mindset for this downgraded model of earthly conquest, progress, and pleasure. Conquest, progress, and pleasure. And you're in one of those three camps, if not all three at the same time. Conquest, going to take over. <clears throat> progress, going to move forward. <clears throat> pleasure, that feels great. That doesn't feel good. I'm going to do this. Right? We love earthly images. Oftentimes we love earthly images more than we love biblical thinking. We also love to think with our images in our minds and then say, that's biblical. I love that one. Usually comes out of the more fundamental camp, doesn't it? I know I have people here who have repented of walking in the fundamental camp, so. We love biblical, we love biblical thinking if, if we resist the earthly images. Here's the reality. If God is going to have our hearts, he's got to have our minds too. And it's both. You can't just be like, oh, that feels really good. I think it's good then. Like, We've got to think about that biblically. So I would ask, what's your mind been set on? What's consumed your thought life? What, what images have you filled your mind with that have been driving your thoughts? What, what do you dream about the most? So here's the reality, man. There's, there's no spouse sexy enough. There's no job exhilarating enough. No social reform that's ever going to be good enough to satisfy your mind until Jesus comes back and sets it all straight. Because if it was going to be good enough, why would Jesus come back? 
That doesn't mean don't be involved. doesn't mean don't be engaged. just simply means where is your hope at? That's why Peter says, I think. Get your mindset on obedience. Third thing he says, after he says, get your hope set on heaven. After he says, get your obedience, get your mindset on obedience. Third thing he says is, get your holiness set on your heavenly Father. Verses 14 through 17. Look at what Peter says. Says, as obedient children, do not be conformed. Now, I love this. He makes this, I mean, when he says that, he says, as obedient children, it's kind of a, uh, it's a presumptuous statement, isn't it? You know, it, it's, it's, like, it's like walking up to somebody and being like, you know what, as my brother, we should live this way, right? And that other person has the opportunity to go, oh, who the heck you're talking to? I ain't your brother, right? So when Peter says this, it's a very presumptuous statement. Uh, it's not a conditional statement yet. He does turn this to a conditional thing later. But right now it's just presumptuous. Just like, hey, you're believers. You're in this room. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do the rest, right? As obedient children. I'm going to assume that you're an obedient child of God. Like he, gives, he gives like a lot of grace in the statement, right? Like he could start out a different way, couldn't he? You crazy, rebellious, dysfunctional, backstabbing, whining, pouting. That's what he could do. I mean, that's more my natural tendency <laughs> to start there. And he goes here, you know, as obedient children, and I don't think Peter's just buttering them up either. I think he's using gracious language on purpose. I think he's embodying this concept of setting your hope fully on grace. I think he's embodying that. In his words, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's even making a statement that, you know what, you used to be this way. You used to be formerly ignorant. I mean, I mean, just look at the person sitting next to you. I, I, and maybe there's nobody sitting next to you. Look at the person behind you. Anybody you know, like you got a spouse, you got a kid, you got a friend in the room. Just take a look at them really fast. Somebody you recognize and know. Hey, Ryan, I'll look at you, bro. Just look at some of you know, and just, I just want you to, don't have to confess this to them, so don't let you, not, you can look away right now, that way you don't accidentally do this, don't let your face betray you, okay? How often have you looked at that person and thought, that person is stupid? <laughs> right, I've, I've never thought you were stupid, just so you know. <laughs> well, that, that would be the ignorance factor, okay? We, oftentimes we look at people and go, man. He's not, say, he's not looking at them right now and saying, you are dumb. Okay? He's looking at them saying, hey, don't be conformed back to the passions of your former stupidity. Right? The way that you used to be. Right? He, says, he says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now, now there's a great phrase there, too, when you look at this. As he who called, look, look who's first. Look who's first. Who, who's listed first? He who called you is holy. Who, who is that? Who, who's he who called you? Is it Peter? It's God. Okay, God's listed first. He doesn't say, now, now he, does, he does flip this around later. It's kind of an interesting, I don't know what the word is for. There's probably a theological term that doesn't make any sense and would just make me look really, really smart. Okay, so there, there's a way he puts this together. He begins with God over here for you guys, right? Read this way. He starts with God. God is holy. So you, you be holy. Then he moves on. You shall be holy, for God is holy. See how it fits together? There's kind of this sandwich, right? On the outsides, what, what is it that's going to hold you and I into our holiness? It's the pressure from the outside and the inside. And it's God who is holy. But really, in the Old Testament, when God said this, when he basically says, hey, you be holy as I am holy. I who called you am holy. I who brought you out of Egypt. I am holy, therefore you be holy. What's he saying? He's saying, I belong, you belong to me. I own you. You're my possession. I'm not going to let you walk in a way that's not holy. I'm not going to leave you there. There's a promise in that. There's also pressure in that. And that you and I have a responsibility to be holy as well, right? So... You who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, that's pointing back to the Old Testament, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Here's the condition. And if, right, first he starts out as very presumptuous, obedient children. And if, this is more my language, I like conditional language. 
I like transactional language, don't you? I put in this amount of time at work, I get this kind of a paycheck, right? I do the dishes, whatever. I do the dishes, I do the laundry, my wife loves me a little bit more. There, okay? Transactional, we love transactions. I give you so much, you change the oil on my car and you better do it in 11 minutes like your sign says it does, otherwise I want my money back, okay? We are steeped in transaction language. He does use kind of a conditional language. It's not really transactional. It's grace-filled. He says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. What's he saying? He's saying, get your holiness set on your heavenly father. If you claim to trust in God, this is the way you ought to look. If you belong to him, this is what God's possessions look like, right? Like, we have to remember this truth, okay? Remember this. That really, no true Christian in his right mind, that's the conditional clause, in his right mind. Are any of us in this room in our right mind this morning? Oh, I was just hoping one of you would say, yeah, I'm in my right mind. I was going to pick on you. That would have been fun. <laughs> no true Christian in his right mind is going to desire anything other than true holiness and righteousness, Okay? So let me just encourage you. Those moments when you do desire true holiness and righteousness, it's because you belong to God. It's because the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. At least. I guess I, I shouldn't say that I know whether you belong to God or not. That's between you and the Lord. That's because you're hearing the Holy Spirit. And he's convicting you of that. And he's putting you in your right mind for a moment where you might say, All right, I desire what my good Father in heaven desires for me. See, the, the, on, the only reason that you ever exchange a biblical mindset in regard to holiness uh, is because we've traded the hope of the resurrection for the hope of earthly conquest, progress, and pleasure, right? When you wind up wallowing in the dirt of earthly pleasure, what you're actually saying is you're saying that you despise the cleansing water of your heavenly Father. But here's the thing, on the flip side, when, when, when you and I, when we live our lives uh, molded or modeled by our Father's holy character, then we demonstrate that we have internalized this call from this, from this book to set our hope on an eternal inheritance as we grow in holiness. And this entire book, the first Peter, teaches us that, that we, we need to set our hope on our eternal inheritance. As we need to grow in holiness, right? We need to grow in our love for others inside and outside the church. We need to grow in our willingness to submit to unjust rulers. It's clear, plain as day. You're going to have to deal with that when you get there. Or you just ignore it and be like, that's just cultural for that day, right? You have to grow in our willingness to suffer for Jesus and grow in our desire to serve God's family. That's a bunch. That's a big picture. Here's the, the, here's the thing. That's what I want you to think about and remember in this portion. Like, if God is your Father, then holy living is more than possible. It's more than possible because holy living is the defining mark of a member of God's family. Like, your identity as a child of God it's only going to be as mature as your picture of God is as your heavenly father. I'm convinced that fatherhood is like, it's a massive topic and very important for us. We have a tendency to approach God like a ruler, and we should, he's Lord. We, 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 approach, him, we approach him in so many ways we don't have a tendency to approach him as father. One of the ways that we do approach God is this way. Like we treat God like he's the permissive friend instead of our holy father, right? Like think about how often, how often do you find yourself, maybe not like just right up front, but just acting like God is just the friend who's along for the ride while you commit one sin after the next, you know? Like clear things that God has said in his word. And you're like, well, you know, I trusted Jesus at that one Bible camp. It's okay if I get away with a little bit of complaining or backstabbing. Or, I mean, that sin is no different than the sin of looking at pornography for five hours, is it? So I, I just think we, we have a tendency to treat our father that way. Like, hey, you can come along. You, like, your grace is sufficient for me. You've forgiven me. And we take advantage. I mean, that's the definition of grace is you can take advantage of it. You can have a seat on that seat securely. And the great picture of your father is he's not up there like, I cannot believe you, Timmy. I'm glad we don't have any Timmys in this church right now. I can't believe you, Timmy. Right? He's like sitting there, he's like, oh, man, I love you. That's, that's what he's like. 
He's like, I love you. It's better over here than it is over there. He's gentle. He's patient. He's kind. I think he's furious in his pursuit of us. I don't think he's so reckless as the psalm says, but I think he's trustworthy. If God is your father, holy living is possible. So we need to get our holiness center, our Heavenly Father, right? Um, number four. I need to plug my computer in so it doesn't die, so I don't uh, mean to take up extra time. Number four, you can write this down. Uh, get your motivation set on Christ. That's the last piece. Get your motivation set on Christ. So if you've been listening to all of this, um, you're in that place, maybe. I don't know, because like as I thought about this, when I was preparing it this week, I was like, man, if I hear all these things, like, get your hope set on heaven, right? If I hear these things like, gosh, i got to get my obedience set. i got to get my, man, after a while, it's like, man, how, how do you do this? Like, isn't this what we all struggle with? We struggle with obedience. We struggle with true hope. Like, well, I think we all get that at the end of the day. Um, how, how do you do this, right? What's going to motivate somebody to get up out of that funk? It's a picture of Jesus, right? Like, we need to get our motivation set on Jesus. Like, think about this. I want you to hear this. Like, the only reason that a man is ever going to set restrictions on his devices and, and overcome the, the promise of pornography is because of a motivation of Jesus. Like, ain't nothing else going to motivate true transformation or change there other than Jesus. Um... I know it sounds, I don't know if the right word is trite, like, or maybe it sounds like an innuendo. There's some word, like, okay, it sounds just like some, something a religious person would say, okay? But seriously, I hope to flesh this out over the last few moments here. Like, like the only reason that a, that a woman is ever going to start getting out of bed early in the morning before her family gets up, starts reading her Bible, why? Well, she can do it for so long if she wants to impress her husband, and pretty soon she ain't going to get that attention anymore, and she's going to stop doing it, Right? But at the end of the day, if her motivation is Jesus, what Jesus did at the cross for her, like you'll see little bit by little bit incremental change and transformation there. I, the, only, the, only reason, the only reason that a person actually does stop walking around grumbling in defeat due to all the social and political stupidness in this world is because of the motivation of Jesus. What, what happens inside of true believers' minds at some point is this caricature of Jesus as, as, as the guy who gives us all the pleasure we want, wins all the conquests we want him to win, right? And like helps us with all the progress we want to make. When, when all of those caricatures of the unbiblical Jesus get stripped away and we start looking at Jesus like, whoa, Jesus is this, he's God. And he's fully man. And he's perfect. And he, he, came, he came here to die on a cross in my place. It's not just the beginner's message at camp anymore. It's the continuing message day by day whereby I am being transformed. Right? When that message, the real Jesus, starts to invade those spaces of our souls, what, what more could happen other than true motivation Authentic transformation. That's the transformation that happens when our motivations get reoriented by Jesus. This is why Peter says in closing that his readers can set their hope on heaven. They can set their minds on obedience. They can set their holiness on their heavenly father knowing what? Look at what he says in the final verses, 18 to 21. Knowing that you were ransomed. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Like, think about the futile ways that you inherited from your parents, right? Jesus died to ransom you from that sin inside of you. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, which is crazy because silver or gold is actually pretty precious, right? And yet Peter mentions that as something that's very perishable. It's something that we go, ooh, that's very valuable. I don't know if I want to spend my silver and my gold on my enemies, do you spend your silver and gold on your enemies? Who's your enemy? Let's just ask you, like, who is that? 
Have you spent some uh, priceless, precious resources on your enemies lately, you know? Like that's, that's what Jesus did. Again, just trying to destroy paradigms of Jesus that we all walk with that aren't biblical, right? Trying to create different images. Like Peter says that we were ransomed. The precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown for the foundation of the world, made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory such your faith and hope are in God. See, the work of Jesus at the cross is what pays the price for all the stupid and sinful things that we have done. Blood of Christ is more valuable than all the gold or silver in the world. That's what paid the price so that we could stand before our Father, our Daddy, our Heavenly Papa without any spot, wrinkle, stain, or sin. It's the work that takes us from under that category of living like whores and turns us into children. Like, that's... That's the scriptures. I mean, we we'll have to dice and cut pieces out that we don't like to read or hear, but that's the picture. But Jesus existed in perfection before the foundation of the world. And yet, what did he do? He came in the flesh to die in our place so that we could become children of God. And more than that, what does he do? He leaves the tomb empty, right? Leaves it empty on the third day so that you and I could catch a vision of the true hope that we have in the promise of eternity. Like, what have you been trying to motivate yourself with lately? Guilt? Shame? Trying to motivate yourself by wanting to look better in front of other people, right? Motivating yourself by trying to do more good things to get into God's good graces? Trying to motivate yourself to be a better husband, better daughter, better son, better wife, better employee, better employer? I don't know. What you been trying to motivate yourself to do? Like, what if, what if you just started getting yourself to like strive towards spending more time at the foot of a bloody cross, more time in the doorway of an empty tomb, more time thinking about the hope of heaven. What about that? That's where I want to leave you. I'm going to leave you there. At the end of the day, whatever you've been hoping for, whatever your wildest dream has been, whatever your vision of the good life was, good or bad, um, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? And the only way that's going to get healed up and fixed up is when your hope gets set on the promise of heaven. And at that point, your mind starts to get set on obedience. Your holiness starts to get set on your heavenly Father. And, and your motivation begins to get set on the finished work of Jesus at the cross and the empty tomb in light of the hope of heaven. Amen? You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.